0: Welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard Podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging.
1: If you want to find out more about us, head to our website, birminghamvineyard.com.
0: Well, it's nice to see you all here today on this rainy afternoon. We are starting a new series today in the book of James, and the series title is A Faith That Works. As we go on in the book, you'll see why they chose that title. Um, but first, a survey we discussed. No pain, no gain. How many of you think it is generally true? Show of hands. OK. How many of you think it's probably not enough true to say that it's true? A few people. How many don't know? Yes. OK. Good answer as well. Okay, so it's one of those kind of proverbs, like a you know saying, right? What are some others that you can think of? Can you shout some out that we say, just not from the Bible necessarily, just general sayings that we say?
1: Stitch in time saves nine.
0: Yes. What else? Too many cooks
1: we'll have to spoil the broth. Yes.
0: Yes. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah, those were a lot that I that I had put down to. Look before you leap. A penny saved is a penny earned. So these things, these are like condensed wisdom, sort of. They are things that are generally true in a particular time in a particular culture. Doesn't mean that they're true for every person all of the time but they're generally true. So if you're trying to be wise and successful, then they're they're good things to do. Well, in the Old Testament, we have a book called Proverbs. We did some study in it, I think, sometime recently at church. I can't remember exactly when. And that's part of the wisdom literature genre of the Bible. At the beginning of the Judges series, we talked about how there's 43% or something like that of the Bible is narrative, like stories. And another 33% is poetry or songs. And another one of the genres is this wisdom literature. And the book of James, it's also a letter, so it does nothing completely not many things don't completely fall into one category. But if you look at the purpose of James and the way that it's written, it can also be considered a type of wisdom literature. It's um, most of the traditional ones are in the Old Testament, like Job, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. So here... We're going to be looking at these kind of, James is kind of like wisdom literature because it has a lot of short sections that have little sayings that kind of sum it up that you're supposed to remember and use to help guide your decisions in life. And wisdom literature in the Bible tends to be focused on very practical things. Okay, so it's, it's supposed to be, we should be coming away today thinking, okay, this is like, I get this. This isn't some sort of high lofty ideas. It's something that is actually, has its, it relates to my everyday life. And it's a way that I can grow closer to God and live out my faith in my everyday life. And wisdom is about becoming successful as God defines success, which might be a little bit different to how we define success, certainly to how the world around us defines success. So that is part of it, the part becoming truly wise means to reorient ourselves to God and to his perspective. We, uh, we have to have an eternal perspective, in fact, if we want to become wise. Now, God is the source of wisdom. That's where we start. And he, as we know him better and trust him more, we also can grow in wisdom. Now, I'm gonna have Jacob come up and read for us today. And um, I didn't didn't actually think of this when I asked Jacob, but the book of James would have been called the book of Jacob, actually. Did you know that? (laughs) I really, honestly, I didn't think of that, Jacob. But you you will all remember that now because Jacob is going to read to us from the book of Jacob, which in our Bible says James. But um, Jacob as he would have been called in Jewish, amongst the Jews, was the half-brother of Jesus, because Jesus' father was God, So, but he grew up in the same house as Jesus. And he was um, the main person leading the early church. This is the James or Jacob that wrote this, is thought to have written this book of the Bible. So we are gonna... Um, Jay, uh, Jacob is going to read from James chapter 1, verses 1 through 18.
1: So here to there. there Reading from James 1 to 18, NIV. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever your face trials many of, trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces pers- perseverance. Let perseverance finish its works so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all who without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is dull minded and unstable in all they do. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position. But the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with a scorching heat and withers the plant, its blossom falls, and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away, even while they go about their business. Blessed is the one who perseveres on the trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire enticed. Then, after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. Thank you. Thanks, Jacob. Well done. Okay.
0: Well, we'll we won't be able to cover everything in this passage, um, but this is the beginning, an introduction. This whole first chapter is an introduction to James's letter. So, all the topics that he touches on, the keywords, they're going to be revisited in later talks in the series. So, don't worry, what we touch on will be revisited again. Um, and Chris will cover the second half of the chapter next week. So, in order to get to the heart, of James's message in this book and in this chapter, we need to think about a word that he repeats six or seven times in this small book. And this word is translated in many versions as perfect. Uh, For example, in the English Standard Version, verse four says, let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete lacking In nothing. We also read this word in Jesus' teachings. Do any of you remember the Sermon on the Mount? In the end of one part of the teaching, Jesus says, Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. So here's the first question for our tables What does it mean? What does it look like to be perfect? Is it possible? How does it make you feel? When you hear Jesus' command to be perfect, so let's discuss this for a little while. What are what are some thoughts we have on the answer to this slightly provocative question? It's a red herring. <laughs> it's a red herring. Yeah. What else? What else? Yes. Yes, perfection is, is very, I mean, as society defines it, it, for sure, it's very much changes, doesn't it? Yeah, just look at different body types and how it's changed over the ages. <laughs> Still continually changing. Yeah. Yes, if you thought you'd had to wait, be perfect, you'd wake up depressed every morning. If perfect means, you know, not doing anything wrong, then well, that, you know, that is a very depressing thought. I've been telling myself for years, I've been telling people I've been a recovering perfectionist, which is what I stole the phrase from my mother, who also seems to be a recovering perfectionist. You know, telling myself, I don't, I don't have to be perfect. It's okay. I don't expect other people to be perfect. So it's okay if I make mistakes. It's part of life. Um, so you know, the first glance. And Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. You think, well, this is very, this is indeed very depressing. But actually, remember when Jacob read this the scripture, it had the word maturity in there where the word perfect is. And it's actually a, a pretty good translation, though not completely the whole thing. It's, it's this idea of being whole and complete. So if we think of ourselves as not being like fragmented people, which does not sound very appealing, frankly, where we're, you know, not sure what we think or what we believe or what we're committed to, or, you know, our bodies are falling apart, our minds are falling apart, our spirit is all out in chaos. That would be fragmented. It's about being whole and it's about being mature. And God's goal for us is to become mature. And it's, so yeah, there it is. Perfect. Living in wholeness and also kind of like integrity where our values are consistent. This is a big thing in the book of James where our values, the things that we say we value are consistent with how we actually live our lives. Um, and that's, that's what the whole book of James is pushing us towards is to become more like consistent, more mature people of integrity and maturity Like, and I've got the picture of the jigsaw puzzle there. And there is a jigsaw puzzle over on that table, by the way. It seems it's rather hard, however. Um, But it's the idea of having, you know, all the pieces, like being whole with all the pieces put together or surrendered to God. Um, Or a perfect circle, more that idea. where, Where we're all there, all present to God, all His, so that He can make the thing of beauty from our lives. So God's goal for us is to become mature, whole people of integrity. And it is not, it's, it especially sounds good because it's God's goal for us and he's doing it. It isn't just about try harder, do better. You've, you must you must be perfect or at least a little better, a little closer to perfect. No, it's the, the goal that God has for us and he is accomplishing it. It is our our job, our invitation to cooperate with him. But he's the one who is overseeing this whole process of growth, just like you can plant the seed and water it and take care of it, but you can't actually make the plant grow. God is the one who brings the growth in our lives. And growth doesn't happen overnight, if you go to the next slide. And so growing growing as a, a follower of Jesus is the same. It requires sticking with God and cooperating with him. Um, did you notice the word perseverance that appeared more than once in the passage? So there is an element of not giving up, sticking with God, cooperating with Him, but um, but it is a process, and God is the one who's overseeing it. He is committed to getting us to that place of maturity. And He has many things that He allows in our lives or that He uses in our lives to help us to become more mature if we are willing for that to happen. Um, And the thing that this passage talks about a lot is our problems or trials. But you could just use the word problems. We don't say the word trial so much in life, so maybe it's good if we say problems. And they're kind of like exercise, James says. Just as more intense exercise builds muscle in a shorter period of time. So difficult situations in our lives have the potential to help us grow a lot in a short period of time. Other places in the Bible, we have this metaphor of gold being purified when trials are mentioned. So when God allows problems and difficulties in our lives, He's aiming for something priceless and precious to develop in us. So that's why James starts out the letter with these words, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Notice not if you face trials, when you face trials. Now, I personally think this is a bit crazy this pure joy. When I started doing this talk, I was like, God, that is like a little bit extreme. Is it not pure joy? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Of course, one of my problems is that I I can very easily not count it all joy. I can count all the reasons why I should feel sorry for myself (laughs) when I'm in the midst of problems and struggles and difficulties. Into pity party mode. It can be one of my easiest things that I fall into. Um, And also, sometimes it's very confusing when you're in the midst of a lot of difficulty. Did you notice that? You think, why has this happened to me? We always want to know why. Um, Half the time, we're never going to know, are we? But even when we know why, that might might make us feel a lot worse, (laughs) might make us feel better, might make us feel worse. But but a lot of times, we don't know. We're wondering, is this my fault? Did I do something wrong? Why didn't God answer my prayer about this? That can be very confusing. I asked God to do something, and He he didn't do it. He didn't do what I asked Him to do. Um, So, And we can be tired and worn down by all the stress that we're experiencing. So we may just not be thinking clearly. We don't know what to do. And different types of problems also require different types of responses, right? So, if you're ill, that's one type of problem. If your family member has made some really bad choices and got themselves in trouble with the law, that's another type of problem. If your house has burned down or you don't know how you're going to pay your bills this month, those are other types of problems. And there's many, many, many types of problems and they don't all require the same type of action. So, what... Do we? How do we know what to do? Do we always know what to do when we're faced with problems? Um, we don't. I don't think we don't always know what to do. So we're going to discuss though for a minute. Let's ground this in our real lives, <laughs> okay? When we are facing a problem and we don't know what to do, what do we tend to do, okay? And then what do we? If that's different, what do you? What do you actually? want to do, aspire to do, (laughs) if that isn't what you actually do, okay? So what do we tend to do when we're facing a problem, when we don't know what to do, and what do we aspire to do or think that we should be doing? Discuss for a few minutes. We could probably talk about this for a long time, depending on how honest we want to be. Um, because I think we've all had situations which were not very satisfactory. I was hearing um, you talking about mechanical problems, and it reminded me of my dad and how he used to take... He was actually very good at praying, okay, straight away, about pretty much everything. In fact, to the point that it used to drive us all a bit nuts, um, because, like, there was a photocopy machine at his office, for example and um, it just kept like going on the blink and not working properly. So he got, so he would start praying before he went over to use the photocopy machine. And he wouldn't just pray that it would work. He would like start praying. He said, I'm gonna pray for, you know, people to get saved. I'm gonna pray for people whose marriages are stressed out. I'm gonna like, you know, it's gonna really not be worth Satan's while to like make this photocopy machine not work. Anyway, I'm not sure if he was theologically correct on everything, but the photocopy machine worked for him and it didn't work for anybody else in the office to the point that they started to notice. <laughs> so when our, when our car broke down, which it did frequently when we were on trips because we never had very much money, so we always had really old cars, he would always, first thing he'd do, pray. Before he even went and looked under the hood, <laughs> before he did anything, he would pray. Um, And it is, even though, you know, as a kid, I found it a bit annoying sometimes, um, I do admire it because it is the way that I want my first reflex to be, is that I'm walking with God like that. Um, And I think it's really encouraging that in this passage in James, he says, gives us this audacious thing to consider it pure joy when we face all kinds of trials. And then he says, oh yeah, they're probably not going to know what to do and they're not going to know how to view it and they're not going to know how to respond. So if you need wisdom, you can ask God for it. He's going to give it to you. And He's generous. He's not there to find fault with you. He's going to give it to you generously. Um, So God is ready. He will give wisdom to all who ask sincerely. But... um, you know, I, I did, we do need to just address the, the thing in these verses that makes it a little confusing. Because then it goes on to say, oh, but you, know, you need to ask in faith. Don't, don't doubt. Because if you doubt, it's like a wave of the sea. Did I put those verses on there? I'm not sure if I did or not. Um, You'll be like a wave of the sea that goes back and forth. Oh, yeah. Blown and tossed by the wind. That you must believe and not doubt. Um, that person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Well, so I've, I'm, my, my emotions go like this. Oh great, God's gonna give me wisdom. Oh no, what if I have a little teeny tiny doubt inside? Will, will God not give me wisdom then? You know, and it seems, it seems I've, I've got to be perfect again. I've got to believe perfectly and have no doubt. Is that what it's saying? It's not actually the message of it. The key point is this last part. Such a person is double-minded. It's actually more about giving our whole heart to God, putting our whole hope in God. And this is still important, but it's, it's um, not about whether you feel some little teeny tiny doubt. Or it's about what you choose who you choose to be the source of your wisdom and your hope for the future. Because it's not about hedging our bets, seeing, well, why don't I just pray? And then, um, well, if I'm having money troubles, maybe I'll just buy a lottery ticket as well. Because if God doesn't come through, maybe I'll win the lottery. Or I'm going to pray, but then I'm gonna go and read what my horoscope has to say, because maybe that will give me hope or I'll go see the fortune teller. Or maybe for some of us, our temptation is to think, but I've got some money, so I can, I can solve this problem. This can get me some access to, to something or other. I, I, can, I can do this. I can solve this. It's, it's about not doing that. It doesn't mean that it's wrong to take steps to have solutions, okay? That's not what I'm saying. But it's about where we put our hope. Is our hope 100%? in God have we put all of the pieces of our life in His hands. That's what He's inviting us to do. Because if you try to, um, well, if you've got, you're have a kid and you, you drop, a, drop something breakable, it falls apart. Like let's say that Francis dropped that huge Lego thing. And don't do it right now, it's okay, Francis. But you dropped it, and then, you know, if you were a tiny kid, you might be very upset, and you might be like, mommy, please put it back together for me, you know, and you need to put it back together for me. But what if, you know, you didn't want to give your mommy like the most important pieces for the top? You wouldn't let go of them. Could your mommy actually put it together and make it look the same? Mm. She could make a different thing, but she couldn't make the whole thing that you made. Because it wouldn't have all the pieces and we can be like that like those little three-year-olds who don't want to like even trust their parent with something um, we think and, and I think when we're we're going through tough things we feel the most vulnerable and it's the hardest to open our hands to God and to trust him even though in actual fact we probably have the least amount of control in those times. That's why we feel so vulnerable. But we still, we're under this illusion that if we can just keep things, if we can just manage it ourselves, it's all gonna be fine. And, and, and God just invites us to bring, bring it all to Him, choosing to take all the pieces. Oh yeah, I've got the picture of the keys. <laughs> it's like handing over the keys to God. Okay, let go. Yes, I'm, I'm gonna let you drive. It's okay. I'm gonna try to learn how to be a passenger. <laughs> that doesn't—it's not a very unpleasant one. <laughs> okay, I'm handing—I'm—I'm I'm letting go, giving you all the pieces, because God knows that as long as He is just one of the options in our lives, we will never become the people of wholeness and integrity and maturity that He envisions for us to be. Now, just the last thing, um, there's so much more in the passage, but we're just going to talk just for a minute, and we're going to have another discussion question in a sec about money. Because what comes next in the passage is about money. And uh, number four, money gives us particular opportunities to grow. Um, There was a story Jesus told about seeds that are sown in the ground, And some of the seeds grow up amongst weeds and thorns, which Jesus says are the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of riches, wealth, wanting more money than I need for my needs, and how this can choke out the word, making it unfruitful, making it so it doesn't mature and bear fruit, keeping it from becoming all that it could be. And James has this same emphasis because he comes right in with this. Watch out about money. Um, but he—he's—it's good because he says right right away. The first word of encouragement he gives is to people who don't have very much money. And he says, "You have such a privileged position in Jesus that you can rejoice in that because actually your situation makes it easier. Well, doesn't? I don't know. I would say it makes it easier. Gives you more opportunities." <laughs> to trust God and to see him come through for you. I mean, in my parents' situation, like I said, we didn't have a lot of money when I was growing up, but I have a lot of stories about God, you know, getting us a check in the mail that we weren't expecting exactly when we were sitting down to pray about a need. You know, they're the things that impacted me as a kid that I was just like, well, obviously God is real because like stuff like this doesn't just happen. And being part of a Christian community where some other people just came up to our door and handed my parents money in an envelope and said, Go buy yourselves a new car. You know, and it's it is just those kind of experiences of seeing God work and God move in the area of money. But money is one of those areas that we most of us have a have some Trials with. I mean, I don't know about you, but I pretty much think about some decision related to money every day. Should I really spend that much money? Should I not spend that much money? Is the two dollars, two pounds more for that cake worth it, or should I get the cheaper one? You know, like (laughs) all lots and lots of questions. How am I going to manage the finances? Am I spending too much money? Am I spending my money the right way? Um, It's it's a thing that can very easily um, dominate our lives. So let's see, what else was I going to say? <clears throat> but James says, so if you don't have much money, you're blessed because you, can, you have more opportunities to see God work. If you have a lot of money, you better watch out. <laughs> That's basically what he's saying. Because you can more easily depend on your money and your wealth, and you may miss out on some of the opportunities God wants to give you to grow. So it's kind of upside down and backwards for most of us. All of us can find ourselves somewhere in there. And it only makes sense if we have this eternal perspective that we were talking about at the beginning. So the question we're going to discuss now is, what do you think God considers precious? Okay, Our society has tells us lots of things that we can get with money are very important. What does God consider precious? So let's talk about it for just a couple minutes, and then we're, we'll be pretty much done. Can you just call out a couple of things that came up at your tables? There's a lot of answers we could give to this. There are a number of things the Bible directly tells us that God considers precious. And we're not going to go into all of them right now, but maybe you've come up with some of them. What are some a few things? Shout them out. People, Yeah because he died for them, didn't he? Us. Us, yes. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Yeah, he loves me too. I'm really thankful for that. What else? Yeah. Integrity, yeah. The world. He loves children. He really loves children. Yeah, and he still loves us when we grow up, thankfully. (laughs) Yes, in this passage, he talks about a crown he's giving to those who persevere under trial, the crown of life. That's showing that he values those who are able to persevere, to stick with him. You can go to the next slide. Um, To stick with him, even when they're faced with difficult situations. Who turn toward God with their questions instead of away from Him? God does consider our trusting of Him to be something precious as well. Because um, His head is not turned by how much money we have, or whether we have a good job, or a title. He is not impressed with the type of car we have, or even if we have a car. He isn't influenced by what type of neighborhood we live in or what type of house we have. He would love for us to take care of our bodies, but you know what? He doesn't actually prefer those people who have somehow managed to achieve their ideal weight, so-called, or built up lots of muscle. That is not what is important to him. He isn't impressed with us having expensive or even flattering clothing. That doesn't impress God. And he, people may be quick to judge us because of our background or our ethnicity or the country we were born in, but that is not how God judges us. He loves us equally. They, those things do not measure our integrity. They do not measure our maturity, and they don't define our worth. When I was thinking of this question, this is just one um, verse that came to mind. The next slide, Jacob, I think. Um, Psalm 147, 11. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love the people who are willing to trust him with all the pieces of their lives. Those people especially catch his eye. I mean, not that he loves them more, but he's delighted because that is the path that brings us to maturity. So God's goal for us, to sum it all up, you can go to that slide. There we go. God's goal for us is maturity. Trials give us opportunities to become more mature. God gives wisdom to all who ask sincerely, and money gives us particular opportunities to grow. Um, I'd like to close with a verse from Romans 8, because I think that the, we are, we're in, invited today to offer all the pieces of our lives to God, And sometimes, actually, you can go back up one slide for a minute, Jacob, because I have a picture there. Um, Sometimes the pieces look kind of messy, like that picture. Um, We know that we've got brokenness, and that's part of what we're bringing. Um, But the invitation is to offer all of ourselves to God, especially in those areas where we feel particularly insecure. Um, Maybe some of us is in pieces, or at least we wouldn't feel like we're healthy and whole if we were going to describe it. But this is what God says in Romans 8. And we know that God causes everything to work together for good, for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son. But it starts with offering God all the pieces. The last picture is, um, I don't know, do any of you know this Kintsugi Japanese art? This piece, by the way, is on sale on Etsy for 162 pounds. Because it takes something that's broken and they put it together with gold. Again, you need all the pieces, though. You need all the pieces. And it becomes even more beautiful and even more precious. So God can take those things which seem beyond repair in our lives and he can make them into something precious. Something precious. If we will give him all the pieces. We hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful.
1: We'd love to welcome you to one of our gatherings. We meet in multiple locations at multiple times on Sundays, as well as in midweek small groups across the city. More information on all of these can be found at our website, BirminghamVineyard.com. Thanks for listening. Have a great day and God bless.